Welcome to the Game Breakers podcast in association with Rhino Rugby League, where we look to bring you tips, insights and experience from the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay and as always I'm joined by my co-host Danny Wilson. But today we are joined by former Leeds Rhinos captain, Great Britain, England and Yorkshire County Rugby Union player and now current director of rugby for Leeds Rhinos. He's also a seven-time Grand Final winner, two Challenge Cup wins, three World Club Challenge wins, three League Leaders Shields, the 2012 Golden Boot winner, two Harry Sunderland Trophy winners, the 2005 Lance Todd Trophy winner, second place in the 2015 BBC Sports Personality of the Year, and not forgetting receiving an MBE in 2014. And Kevin Seenfield, thanks for joining us, Kev. Thank you, thanks for that really kind introduction. <laughs> that was all about taking one breath. <laughs> Don't normally get an intro like that when I'm dealing with lads from all. <laughs> Morning, Kev. That introduction is pretty much, uh, pretty much shortens our time now. We've got about three minutes left. <laughs> Spot on. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kick it off then. Like you say, we've, we've done a, a number of these um, podcasts now and really digging into the person as much as you know the player um, that we've seen on the field. So just to, to kick us off, can you describe Kevin Sinfield as a person? Um, so, son, husband, and father. Yeah, it, it's a tough starting point that um, because I think how you view yourself in always uh, don't always fit with reality. But I'd, I'd probably say try and live my life um, as honest as I can be, um, and I'd like to think my family would think I were very caring. I'd like to think in my role now and uh, when I when I played as well that people thought I actually cared about what I did and cared about them and cared about the teams I were in and the environments I were part of. So they'd probably be the two things. Keep it simple. Going on, straight from the, the word caring, you, you complete a lot of challenges for good causes, running marathons and things like that. And, and most recently to help your good, good friend Rob Burroughs. How is it going with the, the, the trust fund there for Rob? Yeah, it... it it set off like an house on fire. Um, the support we got right at the start, you know, when, when Rob was first diagnosed that week before Christmas, it hit everybody like a ton of bricks. So um, that initial push with, um, you know, just the response on uh, the Just Giving page was immense from the game. You know, not just Leeds fans, the whole game and then probably wider sport as well was unreal. And then um, we had a big dinner for him, where there was uh, it was held at, at the ground, and there was some you know real begetters from from sport who came along: Gareth Southgate, you know Josh Warrington, to name a couple. Um, and I'll, I'll throw another one in: Will Greenwood, who was a rugby union World Cup winner, who were you know big fans of our sport, were there, and 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 it was an incredible night for Rob. And then you think of that game as well, a testimonial game for Jamie Jones that. He kindly shared with Rob, um, which was just an unbelievable event to be at. So, um, on the back of that, you know, there's been lots of little events that people have organised themselves, um, and support has been incredible for Rob. And then we find ourselves it with sort of the coronavirus and lockdown, and, and that meant a lot of things were put on the back burner. And there's still people doing some great stuff, uh, but obviously it, it made sort of your bigger type events where you had you know a number of people involved very very difficult because of the guidelines and so you know I'm seeing Rob today um ever since sort of lockdown started to open up um I've visited him every couple of weeks and spent some time with him with him this afternoon which I'm really looking forward to um I was there with him about 10 days ago when Doddy visited uh which was great who is you know he's truly inspirational so um but I, I think having finished playing, um, I realised there was a void and I, and I needed to fill it because sort of the buzz and satisfaction you get from, from playing and winning and playing well, um, it's really difficult to replicate and find that um, elsewhere. So you know, I started to run and, and get uh, a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction from it, albeit very different. Uh, but it started to fill that void for me and and then I've been involved with a number of, cha number of charities throughout sort of playing career. Uh, prostate cancer was one that's quite close to, to home. Um, Jane Tomlinson appeal in Leeds. Um, so, and different other cancer charities. And, and look, every, every charity out there is really important. They do some brilliant things. 
uh, Leeds Rugby Foundation, which is the charity that's connected with our club. Uh, Rugby League Cares, there's thousands of them out there that do wonderful stuff. And, and I suppose when we got the news about Rob, it, it was, I suppose, that everybody wanted to do so many good things for him, but that close group of players that we came through together with, um, you know, wanted to make sure that Rob and his family are looked after. Unbelievable. And like, like you say, I think, you know, going back to that first question, is that caring and that sort of band of brothers that you've got, you know, within that group of leads, you could see, you know, how tight, how tight knit it was and how that pulled together, especially that, like you say, that game, you know, which was televised, which was absolutely outstanding. But you could see that, that group really, you know, caring for each other and pulling together in those, in those times. Yeah, um, the, 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 I, I just, the, it, it were a special group of players. You yeah. know, I just feel so fortunate because you get asked quite a bit about, um, you know, the trophies you win and uh, best games and things like that. But actually, I'm probably most proud of the friendships I've got, the memories. Um, and I think that, that game in January probably epitomised a lot of that when it all come together when we needed to be there for a mate and stand shoulder to shoulder with him, we did. Yeah. Just just like, as you mentioned, you know, obviously the trophies that you'd won together and everything, just going down like a, a personal route, just talk to us about your, your MBE. There's not many uh, rugby league players with an MBE. Um, how did that make you feel and what was the day like when it was presented to you? He's he just incredibly humbled, I think. Uh, it's a great experience. Um, you know, you set out on the rugby journey and you're not quite sure where it's going to take you. And, you know, we all have ambitions and, and targets and things we want to achieve, but you're never quite sure whether you're going to be good enough or whether you need a whole lot of luck. And, you know, I, I look back on my own playing career and, um, you know, so, so fortunate at times, so lucky at times um, to be part of a great club during a period where we had the success we did. The players have played alongside, like I said, the, mem the memories we got um, and, and you realise, you know, certainly in the role I played in my last couple of years, it, it changed a fair bit. But I massively relied on the team and I did the lads to do their job for me to do what I did. And, and um, so to get recognised for that individually is, is massively humbling because um, everything you do, everything you believe in is all about the team and putting the team first. And so to get singled out is... It's a little bit embarrassing, but it's massively humbling. And to be in that room that day, to know that my wife was there, and my mum and dad, who, you know, they're the three people who helped me so much and supported me through the good and bad times. To have them there with me and, and to be in that room with probably about another 200 people who were receiving awards that day. Uh, I was probably the youngest in the room. And to see so many different civil servants, people from the military, um, unbelievable scientists, actors who've just had unbelievable careers, and I'm and I'm in there for playing rugby, and it was it was a bit surreal, but um, yeah, really really great experience. But like I said, massively humbling. I, I I think the sport has given me so many things, and you know I really love love the sport, and um, you know, I'm forever grateful. You talk there as if everything's just been gifted to you and obviously very part of your nature is being humble and you're one of the most decorated players of all time. You know, I think leading highest point scorer in Super League era. What, you know, talk us through that, that hasn't just been given to you. Talk us through that from when you first started playing, you know, at, at, at Waterhead and, and some, some players that have been produced there, you know, Paul Schools, Rockham, MBE and etc. What was that like from signing as an amateur player, first joining all the way through to making your first team debut, I'm sure things weren't just gifted to you. No, not not at all. And I think if you ask every player who's who's played the sport or any other sport for that matter, they all think they've worked hard. Everybody thinks they've worked hard. Um, and there are obviously different levels of that of, of how hard someone's willing to commit and sacrifice, and and how much the desire they've got to push through some of those tough times because we all have to face them. It's just some face more than others and, and the different levels of it. But that, I got picked up at 13. Um, you know, we're very close to signing for Wigan and Warrington, if I'm brutally honest. I was an old, I'm an Oldham lad. Um, I was an Oldham ball boy for three years. At the time, Oldham didn't want to sign local lads. Um, you know, I wanted to play for my hometown team. Um, but you know, a couple of years above me were people like Paul Schoolthorpe, Yestin Harris, 
uh, who you know all of them weren't interested in and they had to go elsewhere um, sort of to, to carry on the, the rugby league progression and um, you know I, my mum and dad had a huge say in me joining Leeds I got scouted at a game um, at that time I was very far down the track with Wigan and Warrington um, turned up at Edinley one day to have a look around meet Doug Lawton who was the head coach at the time um, I, my mum and dad fell in love with the place I was a 13 year old who was massively influenced by my parents and um, it meant I was out of the, all the politics over in Lancashire and you know, starting afresh in Yorkshire and, and, and at the time there's a, there was a real divide on how they viewed youth and, and um, I suppose how they developed youth um, sort of in Yorkshire I felt there was a more targeted approach and certainly at Leeds at the time you know you, you look at the first team when I joined um, Franny Cummins Paul Cook Matt Schultz a couple of old lads there for you um, well <laughs> but but uh, I thought I won't. Uh, did I mention Marcus Fast then? Uh, there were just like a, a splattering of young players coming through, and and all you all you ever want as a young lad is an opportunity. If you're good enough, and I, I thought this club are going to promote young players. You know, at the time, um, young players were coming through at Wigan and Warrington, but it, it, it just felt different. And it and you know, being from Oldham, it was exactly the same travel distance as going to Wigan and Warrington, and so I set out on that journey and and. Um, I probably, I, I know, I know, I had some talent. You know, I, I think you have to understand your strengths. I certainly think you have to understand your weaknesses, but you have to understand your strengths. And I knew I had some. I knew I was a talented kid, um, but I knew when I looked around my age group, um, there were some guys who had unbelievable qualities, who were better than me doing different things. And I thought, well, right, well, if I'm going to make a fist of this. Um, I will throw everything at it and, and make sure I'm the most committed player and I make as many sacrifices as I can and I throw everything at it so that if I'm not good enough or a coach don't like me or I don't get a contract or I get a bad injury, I can live myself for the rest of my life and I won't be a bloke propping up a bar somewhere saying that should have been me or that could have been me. But I'll throw everything at it and you know, thankfully with that, um, you do, you work hard and... and you find yourself in in and around good people who who have a huge influence on you and, and want to help you and want to develop you and um, yeah I got pretty lucky and and I, and I honestly mean that I think there's there's some things that happened to me in my childhood that I look back on now and I think uh, and I and I'll give you an example of it um, hopefully you'll like this story but as an under nine. Right. This is how far back it goes. But as an under nine, um, I played for Lancashire in Humberside. We played against Humberside. And um, I was on the bench. And I remember turning up for this game. We travelled all the way up on the coach. Lancashire coach picked us up at Milnrow on M62. We travelled all the way up to Hull. Sat on the bench for, I think it was 20 minutes each way. But I come on for about three minutes. Nine-year-old, mum and dad are proud as punch because little Kevin's played for Lancashire. But I would so disappointed. I've come all this way for three minutes. Are you kidding me? So the following year, um, you know, representative rugby's changed now, but um, I can remember turning up for Lancashire trial at Oral St. James, absolutely bouncing down the rain. I remember thinking, I'm not going to be on the bench this year for Lancashire. There's not a chance that I'm going to play. And if we have to travel up to Humberside again, I'm playing. And um, the teams all get split up as you did in trials and you're all at different, you all got different community clubs to call now, aren't they? But they were amateur clubs back then. You're all in different clubs and I, I looked around my team and I thought, I've got no chance today with this group of players that I've been put with. So, if I'm going to stand out here, I've got to get the best out of these. And, I, and at the time, I'm 10. And um, I spent the whole time, the, my whole trial, encouraging everyone around me to do their job so it enabled me to do mine better. On the back of it, I got named captain. Right, and we absolutely spanked Yorkshire number side that year. So every year then they were representative rugby and we made captain. Right, and I found myself at Leeds Academy and because I've been a captain of English schoolboys, they stick me as captain of the academy. And then you play a couple of reserve games, you made captain at reserves, which nobody ever wants to be captain at reserves because that normally meant you were going to stay there forever. Um, suddenly find myself thrown at first team and at 22 you made captain because you've been captain of of all them teams over the years and you'd like to think you've done a decent job but 
because more some have, have been able to win trophies, you you know get given the Leeds job. So on the back of that, you get given the England job a bit later on. And when I look back on it now, I smile because I think if I'd not turned up at Harold St James that day <laughs> and done what I did, that who knows where my path would have gone. So there's an unbelievable uh, amount of fortune in it. And um, we've all seen the film. We hopefully have sliding doors out. Just one choice or one moment can define what comes next. Oh, massively in terms of a captain for me. That story is, you know, I did enjoy that. A couple of things in it. The three minutes where we wasted, at least we were in Hull. You got to enjoy that day. And the other part of it is, again, look, but it was you who decided to go, right, look, I need to get the best out of this team. The 10 year old, where, where does that come I mean, modern day, that'll probably be all on Fortnite and Xbox and stuff. Where does that come from, the 10 year old, to, to think like that? I don't know. I don't know. I think. Um... Possibly parents. Um, do you know, I had a, a wonderful childhood, which was a typical old and working class family. My mum and dad did absolutely everything. Got an older brother and older sister who would have had um, more, an inf- more of an influence on me that, than you know, I could probably describe. I shared a room with my older brother uh, and he went on to play a pro as well, um, but just had a, a, a massive influence on me. And... We, we we had a guy come over and do some work with our team in January and we were talking about personalities and where your characters formed and sort of how you end up being put together and how you end up being what you are. Uh, and we talked about brothers and sisters and siblings and, and how that all fit together. And, and he sort of had a theory that the closer you are with one of your siblings in age is means you're going to be more different. And that's so true of me and my older brother, we had so many similarities, especially in terms of rugby, but very, very different characters. And I reckon um, he had a huge influence on, on me being that way. I you know, was quite a mature kid anyway. I was, you know, it was a September birthday, so um, always found myself migrating to older kids. Don't get me wrong, some of my best mates of my age now and younger, but at that stage, sort of having an older brother and getting dragged to stuff with him and I always played a year above or two years above and um, just enjoyed being in that company. Brilliant. With um, <clears throat> just regards to, you mentioned you know, games that you've played in the past and sort of an easy question to throw out there of you know, some of your greatest memories, but without the games where you've won a trophy, is there any games that you look back in your career now that have really stood out to you? Um, oof. Do you know, I, I find it really hard remembering of now, uh, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because like, <laughs> probably, probably had too many bangs on the head. Um, there, were, there were plenty. Of, do you know, when I look back, um, if, if I said the 10 best games I ever played, you know, the ones that are most memorable, I reckon five of them would be from my amateur career, from my amateur, because I absolutely love playing with my mates. Remember, I'm going to mention Hull again here, not because you two are here, but we you played in a... We played in an under-16s English schools cup final for Oldham schools at Saddlewood Rangers. And I were under-15. And uh, we ended up beating Hull, Hull schools. And the game was just brawl after brawl after brawl. Like a lot of 15, 16-year-olds, full of testosterone, in a cup final. It was a Wednesday night. Floodlights weren't working properly. And it just wasn't the best game I'd ever played in. So physical and demanding and tough. And just teams from Oldham didn't win stuff like that. So that's certainly up there. And then, and then for Leeds, there's obviously some that are memorable uh, debuts, always um, something you remember. And for me, that was a, just a huge learning curve. I was 16. Um, yeah, I realised pretty quickly that physically and mentally I had a lot of work to do if I wanted to stay at that level and play consistently and, and get better. Um, and then there's probably games for different reasons. So I remember playing at Witness in 2005, just like a regular Super League game, but um, I think their 3G had just been put in then. Um, I could be wrong, but I remember it being a really fast track and just really enjoying the game, so much shining. Um, and then the finals um, are memorable for different reasons because the week leading in and the build-up um, is, is somewhat special. 
Um, and although you don't remember much of the game, um, you do remember the prep, you remember what worked for you, you remember some of the, the death moments that happened throughout the week or in the morning before the game or some of that happened in the dressing room. And another things that, you know, I look back on with, you know, the, some of the, just some of the death memories. Um, and then certainly, certainly with England, you know, I was fortunate enough to play for Great Britain right at the start before sort of it got disbanded and just being able to play the likes of Andy Farrell and Adrian Morley and Kieran Cunningham, Sean Long, Jamie Peacock, Gary Connolly, just unbelievable talent that I'd grown up watching and admiring and suddenly find yourself in a squad with them. So they were great as well. And then sort of latterly, really proud of, of, of what we achieved with England, although you know, you know, you could look at it and say, well, you weren't successful, you never won anything as a team. But I think on the back of the 2008 World Cup, we realised sort of the playing group or the core of that playing group. And I would probably were in that core at that time, you know, still trying to find a spot and, and a position um, that we needed to pull together and we needed to do something about it to try and get England in a better place. And, and um, you know, Steve Matt drove a lot of that, um, another old lad. And um, had a huge influence on on sort of making people really proud to be part of England again and, and wear the shirt. And although it's probably one of my most difficult memories, um, that semi final at Wembley in 2013, that last minute was horrendous. Um, I still believe that um, you know what we were able to achieve when we walked out in that stadium and. I think we're 55, 60,000 people in there at the time, but the vast majority were in white England shirts. And I hadn't seen that since being at a World Cup semi-final in 1995 at Old Trafford. I don't remember um, a group of uh, tribal club fans coming together in all my time playing for England or GB as they did for that semi-final. And, and as you know, I've been working with, with England, Dan, that's what we're trying to continue and replicate and improve and enhance. And so certainly playing for England as well, just some unbelievable days. The memories in there that, that you'll live with you know, forever and nobody can take them away from you and are unbelievable. And, and you, you just scratch the surface a little bit there. I'm going to try and push you on it a little bit in terms of you don't get what you've got by everything being plain sailing. And you touched a little bit on the semi-final there and, and other maybe times when you feel sick in the, sick for the weeks that have gone past, you know, so your stomach from, from things that you've had to face and overcome, you know, 2005 Chance Cup final potentially uh, against Hull again, uh, and, and, and things like that. How, 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 yeah, we're doing well, Hull, are we? How, how, do you, how do you get over them to ca- carry on your, your eyes that you had? Uh, the tough, I think, um, look, there's been lots of them. I, I could list probably 20 off the top of my head now that have been really dark moments. And you know, I lost five Challenge Cup finals as a captain, so the you know you, you carry that around with you, and it leaves a mark on you and a scar on you. Um, you know, certainly the semi-final um, left a huge mark on me. I remember being sort of there physically for the next six weeks at home, but mentally I was completely somewhere else. You know, it's. But but I think you have to you have to work it through. You have to come to terms with it. It's a sport, and it means so much at that moment in time. Um, but I think you, you've got to be fair with yourself as well. You, you've got to be able to move on, and and as much as um, sort of a move on from the good times, which I have absolutely, I remember them. Um, they don't define who I am, and same with the bad times. Um, they still linger a little bit more and hurt more, but. You've, you've got to move on and get on with your life and you know you can either let some of those moments eat away at you and destroy who you are and people love to have a crack don't they but, you know when you, you don't have to flip through any social media and for every good comment there's 20 or 30 bad ones so um, you know you, you work through that and I, and I think it's really important just to be true to yourself I, I, I do know that when I get up every morning I try and be the best I can be I try and get the best out of every day and I like everybody else I make mistakes I get stuff wrong um, the stuff that I absolutely regret but I can't change them and, and I never set out to be a bad person I always set out to do my best so 
ultimately I can I can live with myself. Um, I also realised pretty early as well that so some of the some of the adversity I faced has really defined me. It really brings the best out of me, and certainly look at some of the Leeds teams I played in. We played our best stuff when we were backed into a corner and really up against it. And um, that's probably me as an individual as well. You know, when I'm really challenged and uh, put in a tough spot, that's when the true character comes out. So um, you you learn to deal with it. Experience helps. Um, they're all tough moments and dark moments. You know, I, I won't. Um, shy away from that they hurt and the scars there that'll be there forever um, but perspective really important as well we mentioned Rob Burrow earlier we probably mentioned him a couple of times uh, during this but you know seeing Rob every time gives me perspective um, you know during that time when um, you know a couple of days after that World Cup semi you know someone pretty close got some real bad news health wise and that gave me a lot of perspective it just helps you be able to decipher what's important, what truly matters, and you know, ultimately, health and happiness, family is is what is is key to all of us. Because without it, we're we're nothing, are we? So, um, hopefully, those bad moments don't define me. Just like those good moments don't define me. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a person who has feelings and emotions and, and just want to be the best I can every day and like I said I'll get stuff wrong and all will. We, we, we all do don't we I think that some tips in there that you that people can use to overcome certain adversity I think probably what helps you sit on that quite uh, not easily but helps you overcome things more is knowing that your effort was 100% and, and your intent you know it's when people probably feel when they don't help to actually do anything that's probably the tougher pill to swallow. Yeah I, th- I think if, if you're not prepared uh, to take some risk and show some courage and put your head above the parapet, you never know, do you? I don't know. You, you can, you, when, you, when everybody goes on holiday, I'm not suggesting everybody dives in the swimming pool because I know they're not all deep enough, but we all have a tendency just to stick your, your big toe in, don't you? And you go, how, how cold is that? And that determines. But if you just jumped in, I don't think you'd be too bothered. And, and that's the analogy I'd probably use with a lot of opportunities people get, either in sport or outside. It's always a choice to make, and mm-hmm. you can either be committed to something, 100% committed, or you can be involved in it, and you get to say what that is. And and then what I found through some of the the tough times, um, the natural reaction for people is to get in bed and put covers over, and get in feet up position, and go, I don't want to face this. But the reality is, the longer you stay in bed and the longer you let it fester, the harder it is to face. You just got you just got to force yourself to get up and face it, and you can do something about it then. You start to fix it. Otherwise, it just just gets worse. It snowballs. All that stuff probably identifies why you was nominated for Sports Personality of the Year, BBC. I'm interested in what that day was like and the event, you know, especially from a rugby league point of view, flying the flag for our sport. What was that like? Yeah, again, you know, we touched on it with the NBA. It, it was massively humbling. Massively humbling. Um, you know, I were quite emotional in the day because just felt a massive weight on my shoulders. Albeit, sort of. Again, I played. I played in a team sport. It, it was on the back of us winning the treble. 2015 had been a wonderful year, but had also been so tough in many ways. You know, I got dropped halfway through it, and I were out the team, and I thought pretty much my league career was over for a spell, and um, so it, it was a really tough year, and then. Sort of to find yourself thrust in that sort of sporting environment was uh, was brilliant and just massively humbling again. And just just for the sport, you know, the sport always does it gets behind people, doesn't it? It gets behind its own, and and that won't change. And I, I think at moments like that, you know, for all the criticism you get throughout your playing career, to see so many people get behind you was was unreal. To see all the different clubs get behind you was was special because it. Um, I think everybody wants to be respected, don't they? And, and it would be nice that you know people were really respectful with that and um, and just supported you and and just massively humbling and and just meeting some of the people I'd met. You know, I've been invited to to spot you a number of times and gone along and and you're sort of in awe of some of the sports people that are in around 
Um, but certainly to be to be thrust in the middle of it with, you know, I remember walking in. They, they brought sort of the twelve people who were nominated in through sort of the back door at this this arena in Belfast. And as I walked in, Tyson Fury was stood there with his entourage, and it was like Land of the Giants. And I, like it, it was something else. I, I mean, just a massive blow, bumping into people like yeah, you know, Frank Bruno and Gary Lineker and uh, AP McCoy, just just like just some absolute legends. Um, Sally Gunnell, you know, there's, there's Denise Lewis, there's thousands of them who were there, and just just an in, incredible experience. The lads. I'd moved over to play rugby union at that stage and, and I'd flown into Belfast on a Saturday from London so we played at London uh, London Scottish on a Saturday afternoon and I jumped on a plane Saturday night and got into Belfast the lads were flying out of Leeds Bradford Sunday morning and it was great because it, so after the grand final in, in 2015 um, I celebrated but didn't go crazy I was always conscious of you know if we've got a uh, a supporters event and uh, we had a big uh, event at Leeds Arena on the back of that and there's a couple of thousand people and then you know, I'm conscious I'm captain of the club still and after lads are drunk um, someone's got to make a sacrifice and go well I'm not going to be drunk here I'm going to be hopefully one of the people who talks a bit of sense and thanks people and then I go out and have a couple of beers and and because well, I was going to play rugby union we flew out the next morning at six o'clock for a family holiday, I had a week off. So I was home that night. I got picked up by a mate at nine o'clock. I had a couple of beers with the lads and, and left them to it. So I never really got a chance to celebrate it. And, and I wouldn't change it, uh, but it, it was what it was. So Belfast gives us a chance to have, sort of, to really celebrate 2015. And I remember being in the hotel on the Sunday afternoon and the lads turned up. The lads had had the plane delayed. Um, from Leeds Bradford that were playing over to Belfast so what do lads do when the plane's delayed they go and drink and they turned up and they were all smashed like proper smashed so it were um, all through sort of the award ceremony I'm, I'm sat with the team which were brilliant and they're all messing about pulling mirrors and doing daft stuff and all I could think about was I was sat there mega nervous like my hands were freezing uh, and sweating at the same time. And I remember going on stage and, and all I could think, well, one of the lads is going to try and put my pants down here. Um, <laughs> so my belt was pulled really tight. Um, but just just, uh, just just a brilliant day. Just, but, but yeah, just so humbling. So um, just one of those moments that is completely surreal that you just don't think you're ever going to have to go through or experience. But um, I was so glad the team were there. Do you know I didn't want to face that on my own and then every other challenge you do it with a group of lads and I'd spent my whole life doing that and um, it was really nice to be there on stage Yeah, two things you mentioned within there that I just want to pull out really is what one that time towards the end of 2015 when you did get dropped you know how how did you cope with that and what, what was that like and then that, that transition into rugby union and, and your career within rugby union just to touch on that yeah, um, so it happened. I think it's been pretty well documented, this. Um, it was in the film that the club produced that as good as it gets. But um, it was a couple of weeks after it had been announced that I was going to go and play rugby union. Um, then I found myself out of the team. And there were plenty of conversations that, that went on at that time. Um, and, you know, Brian probably felt my form weren't good enough. Um, you know, I knew my role had changed within the team. In the last couple of years, um, you know, there was, there was some. I trained too hard. You know, and I look back now, I was just flogging myself, and you know, I was mega fit. Um, you know, I used to do a rowing challenge once a week, um, which absolutely blitzed me. But it just, I knew I had an edge. I knew when I'd done it that nobody could touch me fitness-wise. I knew I could do effort after effort after effort. And no matter how tough the game got, no matter how many back-to-back six we would have in today's game, I could handle it. And I'd just breeze through it. And I used to do it on a Sunday morning after we played Friday night. And, it, and I found myself doing it twice a week, some weeks. And I remember turning up to games in warm-up and feeling, legs are done. <laughs> I'm not ready to play. Then I've, I've worked too hard. And, and some of that was trying to get an edge and stay in front. Um, and some of it was 
you know, probably, I would, I would probably a bit foolish with it. You know, I pushed too hard. Um, and probably to my own detriment and, and um, you know, if I could change it, I would. But we had some really good young players coming through as well who deserved a chance. And, um, you know, we, the narrative that has been created since then is unfair on both myself and Brian. Um, you know, I remember before we played Toronto, I think it was our last game before we broke off sort of for, for COVID and the lockdown. Um, I came onto the pitch. I'd just seen his, his interview that I'd done and, and I thought we were a bit naughty. And I, and I whispered in his ear and I said, you know what the narrative is here, don't you? And he went, yeah, yeah, I get it. And, and it was something they were trying to build about me and him. But little, little does everybody know that we speak regularly. You know, we had swap text yesterday. I'll probably meet him next week. Um, his best coach ever had. So although we had a difficult time, and I'm out my team, out the team for a, for a little spell. Um, I certainly haven't lost any respect for him, and hopefully he hasn't for me. And and I thought we were a good partnership as a captain coach. And but but during those couple of weeks, I were out the team in particular. Of course, they were tough. They were tough, and and you know, at that stage, it was still all to play for. We had a great squad. Um, and and yeah, we're at, we're out the team. So so you came in was brill and and played great and and right from the start you know I, I had a I had a really good relationship with our young players but it probably brought me closer to them especially those that that every week at 13 had been named and then they weren't in the 13 and they had to go through that challenge of getting through the session without knowing whether they were going to be on the bench and that am I aren't I I were back in that Exactly the same as I were when I was 16, 17, 18. But I'm 34 at this stage. And exactly the same as the 17, 18, 19s I'm training with. And so I've had a real empathy for them again. And that was really good for me. Because, you know, I always thought I had a good relationship with our young players. But it, it, it probably gave me a better connection. They'd never seen me be dropped before. They'd never seen me out of the team. and probably thought I was untouchable. So to suddenly find myself, you know, in bomb squad, um, doing what they were doing, um, the respect from both sides, I think, improved. And and, and what I did, um, you know, probably part of my mindset um, was, you know, what's harder than I've, I've ever worked. Um, like I said, probably to my own detriment in 2015 because of how hard I trained. But actually, I knew my role had changed within the team and, and I felt, when I looked around the competition at that stage, um, you know, I reckon I knew opposition players as good as anybody in the league. But I reckon I knew our players better than anybody. I reckon I knew how to get a lad who was performing at a 6 out of 10. I knew how to get him to a 7 or an 8. Um, and that wasn't anything in particular I was doing. It was a look or a couple of words I said to someone, or I just knew that this player wanted the ball in this position and they got the best out of him and... and um, I felt that ended up being my biggest strength. So, although on a stat sheet, on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning after a Friday night game, it may not read as great as the Liam Sutcliffe's. Um, actually, some of the stuff I were doing, I knew was really important to the team. And so, my, my value had changed. And, and um, somebody said to me right at the start of my career, you need to be prepared to evolve and remanufacture yourself every couple of years. And, you know, my last couple of years, that's what I ended up being. Um, and it was tough at the time, but it was also brilliant as well. It was brilliant to be able to go, right, well, I'm 34, I'm faced with some adversity here. Um, I'm out the team, I've got to fight and scrap and get my way back in and, and there's three trophies up for grabs. Do, do you know what? All the way through it, the big driver was to finish at Old Trafford to finish at Old Trafford and went grand final. So you forget the treble, but it were all about, I want my final game to win that grand final and be able to close the chapter, the playing chapter of the playing book and go, right, I get on with the rest of my life now. Um, knowing that when I started off and I wanted to throw everything at it, I know that I could look myself in the eye and say, well, I'll give it my best shot. Well, look, congratulations for doing that. Maybe lesser players might have... Uh... I've not done that and maybe just wrapped it, maybe. But oh, done, done it weren't easy, that. thank you. But, but it weren't easy. 
it were easy and you have you have all those mental battles that everybody has um you know you have all that self doubt and and you you know you start to question yourself is he right is do I still have a value in this team all those things that you probably shouldn't say to yourself that sports I could say get rid of don't, you know don't think you do because you're human and you, and, and you process it and um, I suppose when you care about it so much as well you, it's important to, to understand what other people are seeing and 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 try and put yourself in their shoes as well so um, yeah it was tough but we got there we you know I think um, how we ended up and I, I you know to get that last day at Old Trafford with JP and Kylie um, was brilliant and to know that you know, all them friendships are intact. To know that my relationship with Brian Mack is is brilliant. Um, you know, it's all good. How was that time in rugby union? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'll keep this short. It, you know, loved it. Loved it. Um, apart from keep trying to retreat in the defensive line, keep going back ten meters. Um, apart from that, it was great. Uh, Brian Redpath was our coach. Um, Scottish international, just a Brilliant character. And he's, he's been brilliant with Rob, with Rob Burrow, by the way. Do you know, he's massive helping hand. He's obviously close mates with Doddy. Um, he's been, been awesome. And to experience that, to go across and... That's the first time I've been, I suppose, thrown in a completely new environment since I started at Leeds when I, were, you know, when I come into the first team at 16, 17. And you got to start again and... You got to build that respect. You got to build that trust, and people got to understand what you're about. And um, it, it it was really good. And and that certainly helped with my transition when I when I finished playing because you know it let me know what what it's like to to walk into a new environment having been. I was I never felt I was in my comfort zone at all. But in terms of um, Understanding what day to day it was like, understanding the people I work with, I'd, I'd had a lot of routine and a lot of certainty for a long time. So, to suddenly been thrust into playing rugby union was different. Um, I had to learn quickly. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just really glad I had, I had the courage to try something else and go. You know, I'll, I'll have a go at this now. Once again, I'll throw everything at it. I got loads of stuff wrong. Um, because was, I suppose I was trying to play rugby league in, in rugby union. Um, but once again, I had some great experiences. Met a couple of fantastic lads who who were as good a mates now um, as some of the league boys that I played with fifteen years. So um, yeah, it was it was good. You don't mind having a crack at rugby union, do you, Danny? Oh, man. I was as crap at rugby union as I was at rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was when I was retreating ten meters. <laughs> Just a common theme that you, you go into here is about friendship and, and relationships, how important that is, uh, is to you. But like, as you said, you've been a, a captain since you was like three years old. What, what does it, for you, what makes you a good leader? And when you're looking at good leaders, what attributes is it that you admire in them to make them good leaders, in your opinion? Yeah, I'd probably go back to, to a bit, probably your first question, who I am. Um, you know, that's, probably I would like to be considered as a leader. You know, I'm, I think I'm really honest um, and, and have some, some empathy with that and being able to get some messages across that are sometimes difficult and can cause conflict. Uh, but I care. I genuinely care about the team. Put the team first. Happy to sacrifice myself if it means the team prosper. Uh, absolutely. Um, so them two are key. And then I'll sort of... You know, the people who um, I played alongside, there was always another eight or nine or ten brilliant captains in amongst that. So uh, I was so fortunate with the players and leaders and the characters that I had around me. You know, someone like JP, Danny Bideras, Barry Mack, Rob Burrow, Danny Maguire, Gaz Ellis, Jamie Jones, just some like, unbelievable blokes who just led at different times and were far better than me at, at having some of those conversations and were far better than me at getting some of things across. And, um, but 
it became a team, a team of captains, and and um, we worked hard. We worked, we worked together. We didn't always get it right, but um, there was always a desire to get it right. And when I, when I look now at sort of the qualities of, of some of the captains um, and coaches, I'd say in this as well that I've, that I've worked with, um, there are a couple of qualities that really stand out. Humility's right up there. You know, being able to understand that. Um, you don't always have the answer and your way isn't always best. So being able to understand the group and other people's suggestions and opinions and to be able to say, I got that wrong, be big enough to say I got it wrong. Um, I think that's really important in leaders and I reckon leadership's changed over the years and certainly now when I look at sort of sports teams, that big dominant leader doesn't seem to be there in many many clubs, in many sports at the minute. It seems to be a cluster of leaders who who do it a slightly different way. Um, and I always felt that ours was very much of that model where it was no real big dominant leader. JP was quite dominant. Um, it was actually a collective. So humility is right up there. They've got to work hard. You've got to work hard. And most sports people do work hard. They do, but you know, you've got to make sure that you know, you, you're in the top three or four at everything. You've just got to be. You've got to lead from the front. Um, how you behave is... Is so important because people can see through words, but they don't actions. They get it. Um, always put the team first. Massively important um, as a captain. You know, there's probably some bits that I'm not great at, especially sort of. Um, I, I always felt felt that going out on a team drink was a weakness for me. I always felt that. Um, and this is part of what I regret. If I if I open up, I should have gone out a bit more. I wish I'd spent a bit more time socially with the lads. Look, I were always going out for something to eat or a coffee, but the big drinks, you know, I'd, you know, I'd turn up, I'd spend an hour or two, and then I'd go home. Or because I was I always felt um, I needed to behave a certain way. I needed to be, I need, needed to prepare better to get the best out of my own physical state and my own body. So if, if, if you want an example of that, you just watch Cool Runnings and Derice who's in the bath the night before when they're all in the bar brawling, that's probably more me than being in the bar brawling. So you understand, but then you've got a JP or a Danny Mags who were real good at that side and and, and they're absolutely safe. Yeah, I'll take lads on a night out and I'll, I'll come for a bit, but you know what I'm like. Um and then probably the, the biggest attribute, which I mentioned a couple of times here, just just having the courage, just having the courage to do the unpopular thing, having the courage to do sometimes what um, makes people dislike you, but not for any other reason that you're putting the team first or you're putting the club first or you're putting the group first, just being able to do the right thing. Um, it's massive and, and that links into making right choices and decisions. And I found in my career right from an early age that um, the more difficult decisions you face with, or the most difficult, uh, when you face with a choice, the most difficult route is the best route. No matter what you pick, no matter what it is, it'll bring you uh, the greatest memories, it'll bring you the greatest success, and it'll bring you absolutely the best satisfaction. Um, so yeah, just just having real courage. Um and like I said, I was fortunate when you look through some of the coaches I played under. My amateur coach was brilliant. He was a mate's dad, as we we all find. Uh, long distance lorry driver, you know, work however many hours over a weekend. I remember he used to go to Aberdeen on a Saturday night and get back for our game Sunday morning in his work clothes, not slept a wink. A lot of one bars in the back of his car that had been delivering and been no, uh calendars, uh, cartoon mags. Um, and just, 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 just so giving and tolerant and patient, and uh, values were instilled in us from an early age. And then when I looked through, so I'm my academy, Dean Bell was our academy coach. You know, there's not a better bloke who you want for sort of mental strength and mental toughness than a bloke like Dean Bell. Um, and then you know, I played a little bit under Graham Murray, uh, Daryl Powell, Daryl made me captain. Who you know. I, great friendship and relationship with, uh, played with him um, and then played under him. Tony Smith, unbelievable, great leader. Uh, Brian McClellan and we touched on Brian Mack as well. So really, really fortunate. And then, you know, with England, some some unbelievable coaches as well. You know, David Waite, 
very special. Uh, Brian Noble, uh, Steve McNamara, who I love playing under. Um, so, was, yeah, very fortunate. What was it about Steve that liked playing under for England? Um, probably his honesty. And I think he got me. I think he got me. I think he understood, actually, that... Um, what my role was, and you know, the, you know, if you look at that time when when Steve sort of really got behind me and my game, uh, you know, we had people like Sam Tompkins in the team, we had Randy Chase in the team. Just I couldn't, I couldn't live with them skill wise. I couldn't get anywhere near them. I was as fast as them. I couldn't do the things they did. But what I could do was deliver a game plan, and what I could do was deliver a kicking game, and what I could do was get those six and sevens out of ten to be sevens and eights um, and Steve knew that and he understood it and valued it and, and knew that for for every one of those 10 out of 10 uh, sorry 10 out of 10 players we had he also needed if you like a, a steady guy to get us around the field somebody who just would deliver a game plan and be able to keep his cool and, and make sure we delivered certain things that that we did and you know, I always saw my role within that team as we get, I get us around the field, I, I run our kicking game, but if Rangi or Sam want it, in particular, I'm using them two because they were so special um, at the time, um, and Sam still is. Um, I'm not seeing Rangi play for a little while, but sort of, as soon as they wanted the ball, they got it. And that was my role. You know, there were no... There were no part. There were no selfish part of me that said, "Oh no, I'm not giving it Rangi or Sam's not having it." When they wanted it, they got it. And you know, I, th I think Steve gave St Steve gave the England shirt pride again, which is something I'm really pleased to be a part of. And obviously, you stepped into that role as director of rugby for England, you know, but after you, you finished playing, and obviously, wet wet move. Uh, Wayne Bennett as well, and, and I think Wayne Bennett said one of the things you touched on earlier was about a true leader can't be liked, can't need to be liked. You can only be a true leader if you don't need to be liked. When you're having them tough conversations, you're going to upset people. What was it like transitioning into director rugby at England and working with the likes of Wayne? Yeah, uh, transition was tough. Do you know what? I'd probably say I'm still transitioning now. Uh, all this time, quietly. all this time, yeah, <laughs> all this time. Um, but um, just, just the learning. You don't change as, as a bloke. You know, you got your values and your standards. And I think the difficulty is that that when you come out of that sporting team environment to working in an office, um, people have very different standards of values. Um, um, that honesty and trust that you have on the field. It's very, very different in an, in an office you, and, and it takes some getting used to that. That, that was the biggest thing. But certainly as, as a bloke, um, my values and standards didn't change. Um, it was tough um, at first, you know, being thrust in. Um, I think, you know, I went into it with John Roberts. He was an incredible guy. He was a performance director, um, you know, at the RFL. And, and I went in to provide some, some rugby league knowledge and... I suppose some ex some on field experience. Um, Steve Mack had left. They'd just given they'd given Wayne Bennett the job six months earlier. Um, that sort of day to day England knowledge um, wasn't there because Wayne was on the other side of the world and um, and Steve had um, didn't, wasn't given the England role. So I'd gone in to do that, but within sort of space of a couple of months, I'm just finding my feet. Um, you know, John went off on the sick and never came back. And we found ourselves in a position after the, I think it was the Four Nations in 16, where uh, I'd not met Wayne at this, I think I met him once. Um, and we found ourselves at the end of 2016 where there were a couple of things that um, Wayne had asked the Super League clubs for support on. Now, you'll get different takes on how that were put across and the meeting that went went before that but basically he'd asked for some weekly sessions um, a mid-season game and um, a pre-season camp and that was going to be World Cup year 2017 if you remember and the camp got cancelled um, it ended up in a bit of a mess 
nobody would speak to each other and England were viewed upon uh, in a very different light. And I sort of, uh, the start of, start of 2017, thought, right, well, how can I best influence this? We're in a World Cup year. I played in three World Cups uh, and I thought, I want to give our lads the best experience they can have. And, and at the minute, we have no plans in place. There's nobody running it. Um, the clubs won't talk to Wayne. Wayne don't want to talk to the clubs. Someone's got to try and make this work. So the analogy I use, I jumped in the car and started to drive it and I expected to be thrown out pretty quickly, but I didn't. And someone strapped the seatbelt on me and that were it, I were in. So um, very sadly, John never returned, John Roberts. Um, but I've kept in touch with him, he's a great fella. Um, and we started to piece it back together. So, um, you know, it took a bit of time for me and Wayne to work at each other out. Um, and to build that trust and the honesty. Um, but, you know, what you see isn't what you see in the media, what you see on TV interviews. I mean, you've met him, Dan. Um, he's very different to working with him day to day. And, and no, he's brilliant. I love working with him. I, just so easy to work with. Just like, ne- never, n- never saw him lose his composure. Just because of the experience he had as well. And, I speak to him regularly now, probably every three weeks we have a call. Um, well, he's just a top fella and really enjoyed working him. Really enjoyed working at the RFL. And, and you know, Danny, because you were part of some of the uh, England programmes, we, we put together that DNA and the EPU was put together. And some of the things that we did um, probably never got... Uh, people were never made aware of them. And... You know, that, that's how it is. You know, I, I get it. And, and ultimately, sort of, uh, the GB tour tarnished and tarred a lot of the work we did in those other programmes, which is so sad because the strides we made and in sort of the youth set up and our academy and how we tried to bring it all together. And, and then you throw in sort of bringing the Knights back, taking the Knights to PNG, dealing with all Sport England funding and making sure that it was put in the right place and actually our team's got great experiences and understood the value of playing for England and the value of the shirt and what we did with the women's game, our, our women's international team, um, you know, the sessions we ran for them, taking them to PNG, getting them paid for the first time in the history of the women's game um, and then the wheelchair tour to Australia. You know, some of the stuff we did is, you know, I'm really proud of I'm really proud of them, but unfortunately, you get the GP stuff didn't go well in in, in that sport. So, uh, but love working with Wayne, love working with all those people in the EPU, love working with all the England programs. I, I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was passionate about it, and I generally hope that all three teams win the World Cup next year. I really, really do, because it just have such a huge boost for the sport in this country. Outstanding. Just. Um... As we start to wrap it up, because like I say, we really appreciate your time. Um, obviously, now in the role of director of rugby at Leeds Rhinos, talk to us what are the qualities you need to be a Leeds Rhinos player. Um, probably mentioned some of them. Um, there are some non- non-negotiables, and I think that's probably Danny knows some of my philosophy anyway. I've been working with me at England, but humility, hard work, team first. You know, I mentioned it with some of, sort of the leadership qualities. Um, you've got to have those three. You've got to be willing to, um, not, I don't use the word conform, but you've got to be willing to show and behave in that certain way. And wrapped around all of it is you have to have an incredible attitude. You have to want to win and fight and scrap. And uh, I mean that metaphorically, by the way. Um, and, and be part of something bigger than what is just picking up a paycheck once a month. Um, you've got to really invest and, and throw yourself at it. And I think, I think, we did it with England. Um, I've done it here at Leeds. You know, we pulled together a full DNA. We've completely revamped how we scout. We've revamped what we look for um, in potential and players. But you know, absolutely, they need to have the right attitude. That's key for us. Um, and and we will take any build. We will take. Um, any set of personal circumstances on board. We want to help people and develop people and, and give them an opportunity like I had. And 
Um, but they have to have a great attitude, top and bottom. Brilliant. Outstanding. Outstanding. And, and Kev, before Rob kind of finishes off, uh, firstly, is it's quite clear to see that the opening gambit of your care is quite clear right throughout the full podcast. And, and ultimately, one of your biggest strengths is knowing people and understanding people and being able to get the best out of them, which ultimately has the best for, for the team. And I think, obviously, when you speak about England and wanting the best, how to kind of manipulate programmes, if you like, to get the outcome. I think that's something that you're, you're very good at. So, um, Thank you. keep doing that. Wish you all the best at Leeds. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Yeah, just exactly the same. I think you know, the message that we've got throughout this has been, has been outstanding, I think, for, for any young player, you know, going all the way back to when he was under nines. Um, but then that, that, that work ethic and the qualities that you've done, you know, you've described within all, the whole of the podcast has been absolutely outstanding. So thanks for your time um, and you know, thank you for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. You're not bad for a couple of old lads, are you? <laughs> <laughs>